Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks parents how they get the very best NDIS plan and ample funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmon, a freelance writer and the author of Special, Antidotes to the Obsessions that Come with a Child's Disability, and sponsored by HireUp, a disability platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. As a parent to my five-year-old son, Arlo, who has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and epilepsy, I know firsthand how hard it can be to navigate the NDIS. So I'm grilling savvy parents and experts in the disability space to find out how I can advocate for my child and get the funds our family needs to live a good life. In this, the second episode of our NDIS Know How series, I'll be chatting with Linda Fennick, a beauty therapist from the Hawkesbury region of New South Wales. People have a very different idea of what a beauty therapist is. So for me, I just make people have confidence in themselves. So I don't find it as just doing an eyebrow wax. This passion for helping others feel confident extends far beyond her beauty salon. Linda voluntarily supports more than 40 parents as they navigate the NDIS, sharing with them what she has learned as a fierce advocate for her own daughter, seven-year-old Lucy, who has cerebral palsy. In this chat, Linda and I cover a lot of ground, including the importance of framing your child's NDIS funds as an investment, bringing video evidence to your NDIS planning meeting, and including a carer's impact statement in your plan material. I hope you find this conversation as enlightening as I did. When you're working so beautifully with all of these parents, what is the number one thing that parents stuff up in their NDIS planning meeting or in the preparation for it? not matching their goal to their actual funding to their therapy that is the I see it in black and white right at the beginning so say I'm a new parent newly diagnosed kid coming to you and saying I have to do this NDIS plan how do I do good goals okay so first up I look at their ability where they should be sitting and then we write the goals to that so if you have you can give me an example and I'll tell you how I'd write that to that person Yeah, let's say Arlo. So when we first got on the NDIS, Arlo was, I think, two years old and Mm -hmm. he's level five on the GMFC. I'll interrupt myself here to quickly explain that what I mean by GMFC is actually GMFCS, the Gross Motor Function Classification System. So quite profoundly physically disabled, but a bright kid. Yeah. Okay. So at two, it's really hard because you don't know where the level is going to sit at. Right, so we really don't know levels until four. Yeah. Okay, two to four is when we're actually starting to plan it. So honestly, you have to treat Arlo as if he's neurotypically going to be a level one or two. He still has to have the same opportunities and expectations as what any child has. There needs to be movement therapies, music therapy, animal therapy, all of those sorts of things that could stimulate brain activity to register a different pathway is where I'm pushing for. So our goals would be from two to three, what would be happening in a neurotypical child from two to three. But say he was six and he's six now, did you say? He's five. Five now. Mm-hmm. And he's a level five and he's going to school next year. And he's a very bright child. What sort of devices and different things have you got funded for him? We have the lot. So we have an AAC gaze device. We have wheelchair. We have stander. We have uh, walking frame like Rifton Pacer gate trainer. Um, yeah, we've got lots of cool stuff for him. We've been very lucky. And do you know what? A lot of people 
don't know how to actually obtain that. And you had very, very good OTs and physios that actually put those plans in place. You're so yeah. right. So much of the reason we got a good plan for Arlo is because we have these incredible therapists that have written oh, yes. really good reports. What advice do you have generally for parents about how they should pick good therapists? What are some signs of a good therapist that they can look out there's for? There's two. There's two actually. One, they have to be able to connect with your child. Mm-hmm. And your gut feeling as a parent will tell you that there's nothing else other than that. You know, when they say animals and uh, children can sense the good in people, that is the first step. Like you can sense that in someone. And two, it is somebody who engages with you and explains to you everything that is the possibility and sits down with you, even if it is half of the actual therapy and sits down and says, this is what we're going to do. Not just writes a plan, passes you off, and it's really quick. And you have that real faith in them. I completely agree with Linda here and have also learned the importance of being able to move on swiftly from a therapist you're not vibing with. I don't think you have to be scared of firing your therapist. No, and a good therapist or, you know, in a stock standard one will completely understand that. It's just the way oh, of it. They'll yeah. know too. They will understand if they really want the best thing for your child. During our chat, Linda also mentions that in your planning meeting, it can help to argue that providing sufficient funds for your child now will save the government money in the long run. How do you yes. put that into words? Okay, so I'll give you an example for Lucy. So Lucy has, um, she's got left hand pleasure. So yes, she's more affected on the um, right hand side of the body. So I know that her walking with her leg and hip turned in and rubbing her knees and not having the strength in one of her legs is actually going to put pressure on her body and she's going to need to have surgery. By being able to do lots of physio to actually turn out the leg and to the knee and walk um, with a different, with not such an ataxic gait, stops the actual rubbing. Less knee surgery, less therapies afterwards, less cost. Better for the system. Another great tip Linda shared is to bring video footage along demonstrating what your child needs when they are at their worst. If you've got Lucy in the morning, she's better in the morning than at the end of the day when she's tired and struggling. Mm. So if I was to have a meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and she was present, they would actually not see the ataxic walk that she has that is present at 1.30 in the afternoon at school when she's falling over all the time and injures herself. Um, they don't see at night. So I videotaped one night where she was screaming at night. Um, I had to massage her legs. And I'm massaging her legs and for a good half hour, hour, she's going, mum, I don't want to do any more. I don't want to do any more therapy. I don't want to walk anymore. I want to cut my legs off. I don't want this anymore. Mm. And she's screaming at me to keep on rubbing them. And it until she calmed down and fell asleep finally. She, and that went on two, three weeks. And I had no sleep and had to work as well. So they don't realise the pressures that it puts you under, um, which sounds really selfish, but I don't mean it to sound selfish. It's just it was really hard and it was a struggle as a parent. On that as well, um, is it good advice to tell the planner that if you are struggling as a parent, if you need more support? Oh, 100%. Parent? The um, parenting and carers um, impact statement is huge. You need to be writing that every single time. And I had the OT that I had dinner um, with with friends the other day, she didn't even know what a carers impact statement was. Neither did I until Linda brought it to my attention. A carer statement, also known as an impact statement, is a letter written by a parent or carer of someone with a disability that explains how their disability is impacting their own life and the lives of those around them. 
Writing this statement is not a compulsory part of the planning process, but it can significantly strengthen your case for supports. What advice do you give parents when it comes to writing that? You know, when some days you wake up and you go, I've got this shit, I'm all good. But then other days you had a fight with your partner, they are a real shit, you're tired, you're exhausted, you wonder why you do this, they're the days to write that. That's the day I'd keep it in your back pocket, even if your review is not coming up for another six months, but you write most of the emotion outright then as if it was a diary because that pains and those words that you would use and translate into them will be completely different at that time than when we're fighting fit. They need to hear the emotion in our words of, I cannot fucking deal with this anymore. A struggle for me personally is that Lucy sits in between. So what I mean is I feel that we don't really fit into any group. And that sounds really horrible because she's not severely affected. However, she has no real strong ability. So she's not really sitting anywhere. So when people see her, they're like, where's your disability? They don't see that Mm. I have to carry her and the shopping and all that when her legs get tired. But then I also see that very little supports for like one of my mums who've got, who has a CP level five child. She's got another four children, three children. So it's four in the total. Mm. I just want to hug her sometimes. And no wonder we have a glass of wine at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think that's so interesting because we, we haven't, we have a really good planner. I'm certainly realizing now, but we haven't had to fight very hard because Arlo's disability is so severe and significant. And that's actually, you know, I say I'm lucky and people think I'm mad, but I'm like, no, we actually are because we're not questioned. We don't have to fight anywhere near as hard as you have to fight to convince people of what we need because it's in plain sight what we, you know, that Arlo can't walk. I find it goes both ways. So I think I say your NDIS plan is a lottery ticket. You might get a good plan or you might not. And it all depends on so many different variables. When NDIS works and the NDIA help, It can be the most amazing support system for our children. However, when it doesn't work, it can be the most debilitating thing that I've ever seen. It shouldn't be that hard for some. With people like Linda sharing her knowledge and helping parents like us get more out of their NDIS plans, here's hoping it gets easier. So many thanks to Linda for this very insightful chat and thank you for listening. Catch you next time on NDIS Know How.